You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show that tries to take your challenges as a leader or business owner and boil them down to uh, easy to understand bite-sized answers and solutions. Uh, Call them common sense. And today we are going to get into a topic that I think uh, does affect a lot of leaders, and that is the notion of needing to stand up and be present in a slightly larger group. Uh, You know, the popular word is public speaking, and that's usually a, a mild panic attack for a lot of people. And we're going to explore different ideas and ways, but but one part of what we're going to talk about today, and this is a particular interest and passion of mine, and that is the idea of having a vision and being able to communicate that effectively to whatever group or audience you might be dealing with. My guest today is a lady named Lori Smith. She's agreed to sit in and join us and Help us really learn more about this uh, this whole gambit of uh, public speaking and presence and communication of your vision. Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Doug. I'm glad to be here. Remind me where you're calling in from. I am joining from San Francisco, California. All right. All right. Well, very well. Well, Lori, it's a little bit of a tradition here. I usually ask my guests to share with us a little bit of background, mainly the story of the journey that got you turned on to and focused upon the things you're doing today to help people. Yeah. Well, my journey in some ways started when I was born. What I remember is being about seven years old, playing make-believe in the backyard with some friends. I had my hair curled up in little pin curls like Cindy Brady from the Brady Bunch. And my friends, being kids, got bored and wanted to go swimming or something like that. And I wanted to finish the story. So I stayed in the backyard and that's when my mom found me and she said, I'm going to take you to an acting class. (laughs) And like many things in our world, theater has both a light side and a dark side. The dark side is what you see in movies and television where it's all about competition and backstabbing. And, you know, the understudy is trying to kill the main actor to get the part. Fortunately, and part by choice, I've surrounded myself with and been drawn to and chosen more of the light side of theater. I call it my first spiritual zone. It's the first place I ever experienced being utterly and completely in the moment. And actors, other actors in particular, are capable of being present with others in a way that most of the world isn't. And at about 27 years old, I was doing theater at night and working as an executive assistant in the Silicon Valley during the day, way, way overworked, like most people in the Silicon Valley are familiar with at one point or another. And I kept having this 
call to go toward a more aligned life. And I kept resisting it. And I thought it was going to mean doing, doing theater and teaching theater. And around that time, I had a very powerful experience in my first acting class ever that is at the heart of what I now do with speakers and leaders. I was doing this exercise and it involved little mini improvs, not like you see on Saturday Night Live, which are focused on entertainment. These exercises were focused on stretching our capacity as performers, like where are we resisting? And usually you were up there with three other people, at least one other person. And on this day, I was up there by myself. And people were jumping in with prompts, but basically I was the center of attention. And I kept putting on that I'm fine face and like pulling myself together in between the vignettes. And eventually Richard, my teacher, stopped the exercise and said, whatever that is that you're doing, stop it. I'm asking you to be present with whatever is going on for you instead of trying to suppress it or hide it or whatever that is. And I said, I'm not that comfortable having everyone's eyes on me. And he said, then you've picked a strange set of careers for yourself. You're an actor. <laughs> it's really funny looking back now. Um, you know, you're an actor, a speaker, a leader, a teacher. Part of you knows you're meant to be there. And it struck a chord of like my five-year-old self who came in knowing I was meant to lead and had been resisting it on and off throughout my life. And I deeply trusted him. So I went back into the exercise. And from that point forward, it was like those emotional tension masks and the energetic armor in front of my heart and, and tensions in my body just melted away. And it was like layers of lifelong protections were melting like ice. And when the scene was over, I could see and feel what kind of day every single one of my classmates was having. And that was my first in the moment, moment of oneness that lasted beyond the acting. And I, you know, did go off to graduate school shortly after that and got some other pieces like studying leadership after graduate school and getting a master's degree in acting. And as I transitioned to bringing leadership training and coaching and theater together to work with the visionaries who are speaking and ushering in change on the planet, I discovered that that essential thing of allowing ourselves to be seen is that's kind of the whole ball game for someone being AKA charismatic present when we allow ourselves to be seen we can see and people oddly feel seen by us even if we're the one standing on a stage speaking or holding the meeting so that's yeah. <clears throat> that is part of the road that's led me to do this and why part of why i do it 
There's so many things in my mind packed into what you just said, and I, I guess I want to start with that idea, and, and you touched on it. The, there's a lot being said today in modern leadership theory about this idea of authentic leadership and an and elevation of vulnerability so that the leader can be relatable to the people around them. And there are still those who have been at it a while, and, and sadly, it's probably more prevalent in my generation. I'm, I mean, I am technically a boomer. Uh, it, it's more prevalent in our generation, my generation, because we were generally raised on pretty much a command and control mindset. The boss was the boss. Do what he says. Don't ask questions. Just get on with it. And there were those of us, myself included, that occasionally rebelled against that and, you know, chose other routes or did other things. And for many, and again, I count myself in this, that's why we became entrepreneurs, because we couldn't really work for anybody else or didn't especially like working for somebody, love working with people, but not so much for people. And yeah. You know, I do have my own experience in the corporate realm where the leaders I worked with did embrace that idea. We're working together to create this outcome. You're not working for me, although legally and contractually, yes, that's how it is set up. But I'm not going to look at that aspect of it. This is the leader speaking. I'm not going to look at that aspect of it. I'm more concerned about the the presence of this team and the, and the possibilities that this team could represent. So that sounds like a deep philosophical argument, but come back to my point, I think there's a lot being said in modern leadership theory. And in fact, I'm on the road soon to speak to a large national organization um, all of their senior leaders are coming together for a semi-annual conference they do to, and in my case, I'm presenting a workshop on, you know, le leadership, the next wave, mm -hmm. and what we're going to be looking at. And the bottom line is, for those that are still holding on with white knuckles to command and control mindset is kind of thing in the past, folks, I hate to tell you, but uh there are situations and moments where that's very important, no doubt, but categorically, even in some heavier industry, the command and control is uh, coming the way of the dinosaur. So yeah. you heard it here, folks. We're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, you gave me chills as you were speaking. Uh, even when we like a moment that can feel a bit like command and control, it actually feels very different to me. It's a moment where a leader makes the decision. You've inspired, you've collaborated, and much like in theater and in sports, there is teamwork going on. And then every once in a while, there's a moment where someone needs to step forward and say, this is the decision we're going forward with this. And then they immediately step back into how are we gonna make it happen together, which it is decisive and it still feels very different to me than command and control. There's Absolutely. A, Absolutely. a rigidness, yeah. 
you you raise an excellent point there, and I I don't want to confuse the, the the subject. You're you're spot on. Leaders still need to make decisions and give the you know sort of the final answer on what direction the team or the company is going to go. Um, but the ways to get there is is much of what's changing. You know, rather than that moment of decision be a crack the whip kind of thing. Yeah, there's a big difference between oppressing a workforce and getting them to be, rally around the idea of what that decision is. You know, yeah. okay, we're going to go into this market, or we're going to take this deal, or or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let let's talk about this idea. I want to get a little more, maybe call it tactical, about. Uh, part of what we teased out in the opening, and that is the person that owns a company, a business, or is in a, some kind of leadership role and occasionally gets tasked with standing up in a larger group and presenting. Um, I, I have worked with executives. Um, I've had a couple of HR people. I've had some finance people. I've had some division heads and others who admittedly, when truth be told, when they are asked to speak to the entire leadership team, senior leadership team, that audience alone is daunting and feels overwhelming to them. So where, where does a person start with trying to get a little more comfortable in, in being able to be present, be vulnerable, be heard, but able to hear as you've described? Yeah. One of the biggest things that has helped a lot of my clients who express the same issue is connecting to an intention for the feeling that they want to create in the room rather than focusing on the nerves or the inner critic. So it's a situation that's going to bring up a lot of sensation whether it's speaking to an imposing leadership team or a crowd of 500 people or even 10 people, that's gonna bring up a lot of sensation. And our inner critics and the protectors inside our own minds love to label that sensation as bad and make us feel like there's something wrong with us because we're having it. It took me about five years of being in business to realize that every client that was coming to me thought that they were the only one with the sweaty armpits and the, you know, clammy palms. You're not. And in fact, the great speakers out there who are inspiring the people that they're speaking to have learned to use that sensation rather than to fight it and try to shut it down. Great speaking and calm speaking are not the same thing. There, there's a feeling of like the calm at the center of the storm, but that's not the same thing as feeling like you're sitting on your couch watching Netflix. And there's a lot of people out there wanting to feel like they're sitting on their couch watching Netflix when they're talking to 500 people. So setting an intention for what you do want to create rather than focusing on, do they think I'm smart enough? Do they approve of me? Am I respected? That's a huge shift. And part of the reason for that is then what you see and how you interpret what you're seeing when you're the one speaking shifts. 
if you're looking for, oh my God, do they not respect me? You're going to think you're seeing signs in their eyes and in their body language that they don't respect you, that they don't agree with you. Whereas if you set an intention for the feeling or the energy you want to create in the room, now all of a sudden you're looking for signs of that coming to life. And they may in fact look closed when you start talking. And then you'll notice shifts that are toward, you know, maybe it's collaboration or inspiration. You'll notice signs that they're opening up into that, which is a lot the same as like, you know, I'd love to have a little red VW bug and you get on the freeway and you start seeing the little red VW bug everywhere. So that's one of the most powerful shifts. Then there are things we can also do with our body and with our energy to even take it up a notch. I like that idea. And what I'm hearing you say is, is somewhat parallel with something I try to get a lot of my clients to deal with and not just in a speaking setting, but just in general day by day. And that is really lock in on your own sense of vision for what you're trying to do. Yes. And, you know, occasionally I will go into large companies and I'll be talking to upper middle management folks. And one of my first questions is, what's your vision for your part of the organization, your team, your group. And I'm honestly, I'm surprised at how often I get a little bit of a head scratch going while well, I'm waiting on direction from above. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're going to start here. <laughs> you need to, and, and yeah. my challenge to them is to really own the opportunity to create a vision for how your little unit, your little part of the world can fit into the bigger picture. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, yes, you've got to get it socialized and aligned with those above you, but don't wait on them to be telling you what it is. And because the, the ultimate benefit goes back to what you were saying, if, if a leader can lock in on their own sense of value, mission, and vision on where they think they want to go and how they can get their team to get there, all these other things, those emotions and other things do, they don't go away, but they take on a different relevance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So important. And it's so tempting to think that whatever the mission and vision of the organization is, isn't aligned with mine. And I work with people outside of corporate and I work with people in corporate. And every single time there's been like, I did a program where there was three concentric circles or concentric is probably the wrong word. You know, the biggest circle is what is the vision and mission of the organization what is the vision and mission of my team and then what's my purpose within the team and we think those things are fighting each other and when you really get a sense of what is it that i'm uniquely gifted to bring here and yes it's different than that person over there also on the same team and that's what makes the organization stronger, the team stronger, because you're bringing your skills and your gifts 
and I'm bringing mine and they're not exactly the same. Right. And we learn this in theater. In theater, we always say theater is the place where two plus two equals five because we don't do my way or your way. We do, here's what I see in the character. Here's what you see in the whole play. Let's come together and make something that's even better than either one of us could have thought of alone. Yeah, yeah. I'm always amazed, and this is a bit of a detour from our topic, but as you said that, I, I thought about an interview I saw the other day with an actor, and I'm not going to name names. It's not really important, but the point was the the scene as it was unfolding was basically very quiet. It was There was a lot of stillness in the scene, and he said to the director, this scene needs something. And the director said, okay, what do you think it needs? And he said, I don't know. I need to react. There's, there needs to be something my character says or does to, to relate to what's going on here. And the director said, well, what do you think you want to do? And he said, I think if I just say, hmm, that'll be enough. <laughs> and, and so they did about five shots of this varying degrees of hmm and, um, one survived the, the edit and made it into the, and it's an Oscar winning film. Uh, and, but he said, this actor was telling the story that for every incident after that, when they were in some kind of screening and the director was in the room somewhere, he could always tell where the director was standing because when that hmm came up, the director would just bust out laughing. He just thought it was <laughs> somehow funny on how it got inserted, but it was very serious. Yeah. Very serious scene, but um, like I said, I'm sorry I've got diverted here, but I get what you say. There is that chemistry of bringing idea and bringing contribution to the overall value. But I think it goes back to the point here is the individual leader needs to own their own sense of a, of a vision as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's It helps them to know when to speak up in the in a dynamic group meeting and when to choose silence. And when you're asked, let's say by the board of directors to come in and give a presentation, and there's a part of you saying, who am I to present this information to them? You actually tap into, who am I? What do I see because of my, you know, let's take a young leader, so tempting to think I've got to try to prove to the board that I'm smart versus they have their level of experience and they have their position and they see what they see from there. And I have my fresh eyes and ability to adapt quicker, perhaps. And I see what I see in the organization from where I sit. And they've asked me to come in and present what I see and what I believe. And people in all organizations love it when you come in and say, here's the problem and here's the solution that I see. <laughs> here's the challenge and here's the opportunity rather than here are the statistics and the problem by. Yeah. 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 No, you're right. And uh, I have similar experience with a lot of clients and what you're talking about is, is the very popular phrase imposter syndrome. You get that invitation to go to that board meeting 
and and you're looking in the mirror going you know who am i to do that boy if 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 they knew what i don't think i know about this business or this company i'm i'm going to be found out and oh my goodness that's terrible yeah but i it sounds like you and i think along much the same line and that is that if you own the moment and i like to start with my clients with the idea why do you think you got the invitation you know, mm -hmm. somebody sees value in what you're doing to give you the invitation to be the person to come talk. So use that as your foothold in the mountain. You know, if yeah, if you, if you think of that challenge as a daunting cliff you're trying to climb, well, what do, what do good mountain climbers do? They find really strong grips, you know, along the way. Well, that's your first grip. That's your first step up the mountain is that uh, recognition that you got the invitation. There's there's horsepower in that alone. Yeah, yeah. And then some of the other grips are also owning the value of who you be. That's, that's some coaching lingo. There's like what we do and who we are not the words that we say, not the statistics that we're sharing. We each have a unique, innate presence, charisma, that we can show to the world and share with the world. The problem that I see in the world is that we think we're supposed to do it like somebody else. And and people may be out there saying it, like, you know, I... I had a client years ago where I was doing a 360 interview process and his skip level boss, you know, his boss's boss got on the phone and said, frankly, I don't think he has it in him. And I was not as ballsy as I would be now, you know, as I am now in telling the story, um, you, you're dead wrong. What he doesn't have in him and why it hasn't worked is that you all are trying to make him like you. You're right. That's going to fail. He is never going to unleash a presence that is moving and talking and gesturing like you. He has a different kind of leadership presence. And that step of realizing that we might, in the fight or flight moment you know the high sensation that can send us into fight flight or freeze we might grab for a mask of what we think we need to be um i've got a quiz after 15 years of working with people i realized that there were five that i was seeing all the time uh, one of which is the heady hipster i'm trying to put on a smart mask um the deranged mannequin is the name for the one that I'm actually susceptible to, which is like, we're trying to be really extroverted and the trying to do that creates a kind of effort in our body that makes us harden and work too hard and kind of repel people. If we can realize what is it that our imposter monster, imposter monster soul suckers, the, the inner critics that tell us we're an imposter what are they making us grab for in the intensity of that situation? And who am I really? And what are my values? And what makes my presence unique? 
and also own that. So we have a vision that's different. And we also have a presence that might be very different than other people that have gone into the room. And that's when we begin to actually inspire people, not influence. I don't like that word because it feels connected to controlling, but inspiring people to join us on the road to making our vision real. I like that. That reminds me, I have a little news service I subscribe to that feeds me uh, random leadership quotes. And one came in this morning that said, um, some leaders just work on raising their own bar. Good leaders help raise the bar for others and great leaders help others raise the, raise their own bars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I love that. You and, and I go back to your word, inspire, you know, great leadership does inspire others to think bigger, do more. And, and arguably a lot of the leadership coaches do talk about influence. You influence the way people think about things, but Philosophically, I happen to agree with you in, in the in the nuance between influence and inspire. I, and yeah. thanks for bringing that up. By the way, that's a that's a good, I think, a good word to think about. Yeah. Um. Well, so let's let's spend a minute talking about presence in the moment. So we we've talked about sort of foundational ideas for how to increase the odds of being able to show up better, but what else? I mean, maybe let me frame it this way. If maybe that final 10 minutes before you step up to the podium, what are your suggestions on things people can think about doing? Yeah, I suggest that people come up with their very own warm-up ritual, just like professional athletes do. You know, Steph Curry, I'm from San Francisco. People go to the games early when Steph Curry is playing because they want to see his warm-up ritual. It's famous. He's, if you're not a sports fan, he's the best three-point shooter in the world. And most competitive athletes have some kind of warm-up that they do where they go through the same set of things. And actors, especially live stage actors, which is closer to speaking than film, they have some kind of a warm up that they do where you you know you do the same things beforehand and i when i'm helping clients move through this there i have a framework of intend so we talked about that actually taking a moment right before you go on stage to reconnect to that intention so you know what your vision is you know what your personal mission and vision is Take a moment right before you step out there to speak to remind yourself of it. Um, Intend, align, invite is my framework. The inviting is like the bookend. It's listening to the nonverbal half of the conversation coming over there as you speak for signs of that intention that you set happening. And then the align is where the majority of the warm-up comes in. It's aligning your body, your breath, and your energy with your most alive, expressive self. Uh, Ken Robinson 
has passed on now. He had one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. And during it, he said, for academics and business people, I'm paraphrasing, for academics and business people, the body is simply the transportation. It's like the car that takes the head from meeting to meeting. <laughs> That's not going to help with great speaking. It's not going to help with the nerves. Doing something that aligns your body so that you feel dynamic and like you could move anywhere. Just like a, a catcher, you know, there's a position that a catcher gets into. I could never play catcher because I could not do that position even at like age eight. My hips just didn't do it. You're in a position where you can move anywhere from that starting point. So do that with your body. Feel a balance of effort and ease in the body. Then begin to nourish your body with more breath so that you're speaking and allowing the air to do the work, which brings life back into the voice. And the last thing is to expand your energy so that you're filling up the whole room energetically. Um, corporate people and academics always ask me for a few more words. They might humor me around it. If I say things like, imagine Martin Luther King Jr. sharing the I Have a Dream speech, and then imagine that instead of Martin Luther King Jr., it was being spoken by Richard Nixon. The difference is the presence. The words are exactly the same. That thing, air quotes, that people feel like you can't quite put your finger on, part of that is the energy is the person imploding energetically or is their energy filling the whole space? And in order to get there, we've got to mean to be including the little old lady in the back row with hearing aids, who was always my mom. And on the flip side, we've also got to give ourselves the permission to be seen and heard and felt to that degree. And when we do both of those things, hey, I'm talking to the little old lady in the back row. I want her to be able to hear this. And I'm giving myself the permission to be seen. The energy tends to follow. Where is our awareness? Is my awareness in the front row? Is my awareness in my own head worrying about how people are seeing me? Or is my awareness out there? And am I noticing their nonverbal half of the conversation? Right, right. Yeah. Well, my goodness, we got so much we could probably get into, Lori, that we haven't touched on yet, but I think we are about up on time here. And I really appreciate you coming in and sharing with us your ideas and thoughts about this. It's been really helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell people the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your work and services. Yeah, the best way to get a hold of me is my website. I'm kind of old school in that way. I am on all the socials and I can never remember what my handles are. So go to uh, voice-matters.com. And if you're more into Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, scroll down and the icons are there. And voice-matters.com is the easiest one for me to remember and has a lot of info on it as well. 
Very good. Very good. Well, as always, folks, we will have that information in the show notes here. And I do like to remind you that if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we are present on YouTube, a channel by the same name. There's a video version of this show there. You can hop over there and get uh, access to all the archives and everything we've done. We're Coming up soon on show number 300, we're not quite there, but we're we're getting close, so I'm excited about that, and um, it's been a blast. But one last time, Lori, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. With that, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and encourage you to go out there and make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.